We're wrapping up our series called Real Relationships. And one of the things that we've been doing as we've walked through this entire series is what does it look like to truly love one another? So we'll let me put this on the screen. We've looked at this the entire series, all of the one another's. And it started with Jesus giving us this new command, a new command, I give you love one another as I've loved you, so love one another. And you can see what we've done. We've just taken out all of the one another's, left blanks there to begin to fill in those names that God begins to put in our on our hearts and the people that God has put in our lives. So you can go down the list. You can pick this up out in the lobby on your way out today. And it just gives us a good guide on if we want to have healthy, growing, thriving, real relationships, well, we're going to have to do something about it. We can't just sit back and let it happen. We can't just sit back and wait for it to happen. We're gonna have to lean in and do some things. And we've talked about those, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, honoring one another. We talked about what it looks like to pray with one another, spurring one another on. You just go down the list of all the one another's and it requires work, it requires effort, it requires intentionality. But there's another side to it as well. We spent this whole time talking about what to do. How we take the offensive almost, if you will. If we, if, if we lean into those real relationships, here's what it looks like. But there's another side to it that we, we can't neglect, we can't miss. And that's the, the defensive side. Yes, we have to lean in and walk into these, these relationships. There's a lot that's in our role. We talked about that, our responsibility, our role in that relationship. But there's a lot of times where we have to be willing to, to step back and say, wow, this is difficult, this is hard. There's things going on in this relationship that I have to do something to protect it. I have to do something to defend it. So yes, we want to do all the one another's, but we also have to be ready and willing to defend our relationships, to protect the relationship that God has given us. In fact, real relationships do just that. Real relationships protect the relationship. Whether you're talking about a marriage, whether you're talking about with your kids, whether you're talking about a culture in your work environment, those real relationships require you to protect them, to guard against those attacks that are going to happen on your relationship. Now, those attacks are very, very easily seen as when you start pointing the finger at somebody else, right? Well, with me and my spouse, well, she's the problem, he's the problem. Well, in our work environment, the boss is the problem or that one employee is the problem. When you're talking about your kids, well, they're all the problem. It's easy to just point out the problem instead of the common enemy. Let me just read a few things. We're gonna go through these kind of quick, but the common enemy is not the other person. In fact, the common en enemy, we're told throughout scripture in different ways from different people is very, very obvious. John 10, 10, Jesus says this, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In your relationships, he came to give us true life, real life in those real relationships. And he points it out. There is an enemy, a common enemy, a thief that desires to destroy those relationships. Paul says in Ephesians 6, Put on the full armor of God. Why? So you can take your stand against, look, the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, it's obvious there is this good and evil. There's God who's desiring to give us real, meaningful, deep, life-giving relationships. But we have this thief, we have this enemy, the devil, that comes to destroy those things. And our battle is not against our 
friend, our spouse, our kids. It's against the common enemy. Peter says in 1 Peter, be alert and sober of mind. Your devil, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We have to be willing to admit in our relationships, God desires them to grow and desires them to be healthy and desires us to have those deep, meaningful, real relationships. But let's not be naive and let's call it what it is. There is an enemy that desires to destroy those real relationships. And again, it's not the other person. There's an enemy that comes to seek and destroy and steal those real relationships. So we have to agree on that. You have to at least be in that frame of mind where the problem is not necessarily the problem. The problem is not the other person. The problem is we have an enemy that is seeking to attack these real relationships. And a real relationship is going to guard that relationship. A real relationship is going to protect and defend that relationship. Now, what we're going to look at this morning is aimed towards a married couple. Uh, We're going to look at, in fact, this enemy, the devil's first attack on a relationship is an attack on a marriage. But if you find yourself in a place where you're not married, whether you want to be married or not, let me just set the record straight. The goal for relationships is not marriage. The goal of life is not marriage. The goal is honoring God. So if you're married, honor God in that relationship. If you're not married, honor God in your relationships. So you guys to sift this through, not just am I married or not married? Do I have these relationships or do I not have these relationships? The question is, well, am I honoring God with my life? To all of my relationships, how I interact in those relationships, do they honor God? Because again, the enemy is not just after marriages, he's after us. He's after you and each and every one of your relationships. So guard them, protect them, defend them, And through that, we'll be able to honor God in every single one of our relationships. Now, let me just throw this out too. If you are married, please don't go through married life alone. Uh, We talked a lot about it last week. If you weren't here, let me catch you up. The card that you heard Kate talk about on the video, right there in front of you, go ahead and pick that out for me. Look at it because I want to point out something for you. On the back side of it, uh, when you look at the next steps section, it's that middle section, the very last one, it says, I'm interested in building a healthier marriage. Man, if, if you're anywhere on the spectrum of marriage, if you're like, man, things are going great. We just want to keep it great. Man, things are rough. We're, we're at the very end of our road here. Or anywhere in between, let us come alongside you and at least give you some resources outside of a Sunday morning. We'll connect you with websites. We'll connect you with counselors. We believe that counseling is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. We've got different Bible reading plans for you. We've got different tips for you that will help you in your marriage and in those relationships outside of a Sunday morning. So check that on the box. You'll get an email from me this week on Tuesday or Wednesday that just gives you and points you towards a bunch of different resources outside of our church and outside of a Sunday morning. We have to be willing to, again, guard, protect, defend our relationships. One of the ways we do that is by continuing to lean in and allowing other people in our life as well. So if you have your Bible, head over to Genesis chapter 2. We'll be in Genesis 2 and Genesis chapter 3 where we see the beginning of sin. We see sin enter into the world for the first time. If you know the story, you know that God created man and women. He created Adam and Eve, gave them together. At the very end of chapter 2, we see this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So it's paradise. It's perfect. Everything is great. There wasn't anything wrong. There was no sin. The, the one and only moment we have in history of a perfect marriage, there it is. And it doesn't last very long. So you're in very good company if that's you. So 
It only lasts for a moment. And God gives them this wonderful creation and gives them this wonderful relationship. And he really only gives them one rule. If you know the story, you know what it is. It's don't eat from that one tree in the middle of the garden. Everything else is yours. Everything I've given you is for you. But that one tree, stay away from that one tree. He gives them pretty specific and, and obvious instructions and commands that says, don't do this one thing. But everything else is yours. Everything else is for you. Now here's where the attacks come in, right? We want to have these real relationships, but we know they are going to truly be under attack. So here's what we get in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Now, right there, hold up there for a second, make sure we're all on the same page. You have Adam and Eve, and here the story is focusing on Eve and this crafty serpent or our enemy, the devil, Satan. Right there, we have an interesting dialogue that's beginning. Right? It's this perfect marriage. It's this perfect place. It's perfect life. But then our enemy weasels his way in and begins this conversation with a question. Hey, Eve, did God really say this? And Eve engages in this conversation and even corrects him. Says, well, I mean, not any tree. God, God gave us specific instructions to not eat from this one tree. And then look at how the devil responds back. Verse 4. Well, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, saw that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Then she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now hold up there because there's a story and there's a whole lot in there. Just in that section right there, we see four different attacks or schemes that the devil uses, our enemy uses, to pull apart, to destroy our relationships. We read in Ephesians where Paul said, be aware of them. Remember, our, our enemy has his own schemes and his own plans, so we've got to know them. If you don't know what the plans are against you, you're not going to know how to protect your relationships. So if we can identify the schemes and strategies of the enemy, then we're going to better know how to not avoid them, but better know how to protect our relationships. Marriages and other relationships will continue to be under attack because what God came to give us life, our enemy came to steal away. And here we have a great example of how that began. You have a perfect marriage, and the first thing the devil does is, I'm going to steal that away. I'm going to do everything I can, and we're going to see four attacks, four schemes or strategies the enemy uses to diminish, to destroy, to take away our real relationships. So the first one that we're going to see here is separation, if you're taking notes. Attack number one is separation. Notice what happens here. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Notice he does not pull Adam and Eve together on this, does he? Adam and Eve were together, of course, but in this moment, the devil works his way in and kind of has this, hey, psst, psst, Eve, come here, I have a question for you. So even though they were together, his goal was to get them somewhat separated. He doesn't have this conversation with Adam 
and Eve, he separates the two, even if just for a moment, to only have this conversation with one of them. And I would say it doesn't matter which one, as long as it's just one of them, but wives, you know, you're a whole lot more influential, so I think he knows that there. <laughs> He says, let me start with the smarter one. If I can get her, then I'm sure I'll have no problem getting him. So he separates them. The guys are like, did he just? And yeah, I did. <laughs> You'll catch it at lunch. <laughs> he separates them. And then they begin to have this conversation. Now, go back how perfection looked. If you go back in chapter two, it says that they were united. They would become one flesh. They were one. We talked about being united a few weeks ago, the importance of being together. Craig Rochelle, a pastor, said it's, it's the common enemy, right? It's what the enemy is doing. It's his goal. God's goal is unity. But the devil's goal is division. What God desires to be unified, what God wants to be united, that's exactly what the devil will work his way in and try his very best to divide. And he does that here. He works his way in and he just wants to have a conversation with them separately. Nowhere has he tempted her yet. Nowhere has he done anything offensive. All that has happened is he's having a conversation with one of them and they're not together. Now remember, together is the goal. It's not about being same. We talked about differences last week. Together is the goal. So doing things together, being together. I wonder how different this story would have gone if they remained together and didn't have themselves separated from each other. So do things together. Now does that mean you have to do absolutely everything together? Of course not. Right? We all need our alone time. Some of you need more alone time than others. That's okay. You need that alone time. Of course, you have different pockets of friends that you kind of spend different time with. But let me talk to marriages for a second. Yes, you need to spend the most important things together. Identify those. You as a couple have to figure out what are most important. What are the most important moments for us to always spend together? No negotiating, no compromising, no giving in, no changing. For us and our family, that's meals, for example. Man, that's important to us to have meals together as an entire family. Even if that's a quick on the go, we're going to do that together as a family as much as we possibly can. Conversations together, discussions, decisions especially, do them together. Talked about sharing our struggles together. You have to have that together. Praying together. Doesn't mean you have to have it all together, but yes, you need to walk through those struggles and pray together. As your pastor, let me encourage you to serve together. So often it's like, well, I do this and I do this, and it's, well, that's not the goal here. <laughs> if you can't find a way to serve together, let me help you figure that out. On the back of that card that I had you point to earlier, as far as marriages, on the back, all it says is, I want to serve at MLC. You don't have to worry about when and where and how and can I and all those different areas that you can serve in. If you're just willing to say, man, I want to help. And if you're married, we want to help. We want to do something together. I'm telling you, it'll strengthen your relationship. You're working together. You're doing things side by side. Doesn't mean you have to love the same things all the time. But do the right things together. Together is the goal, not the same. Jesus reiterates this. He says this, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. He actually quotes this passage we're reading here at the end of Genesis chapter 2. And he says, you've heard it said, here's why. And he reinforces that. What God has united, let no other person separate. Let nothing pull you apart. But we know that's going to be one of the attacks. Attack number one, separation. Attack number two, that we see the devil, our enemy, use, is the attack of distraction. Distraction. 
If you have toddlers, this is obvious in them, isn't it? Just squirrel, oh, and you move. Right, we see distraction happen here and notice what the distraction is. All it is is a conversation. So attack one, separation. Let me have a conversation with one and not both. And then just begins to distract Eve throughout the story. He says, well, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? She answers him. And then he begins to talk about it. And well, that doesn't seem right. Are you sure that's right? Tell me a little bit more. He uses the conversation to distract Eve. See, a good distraction, the best distraction is the one you don't even notice. It's a quick redirection. It's a misdirection. It's a change of focus. And here's the big kicker on distractions. They're usually not bad. Most distractions actually have good intentions. Most distractions seem very appealing. Most distractions have a really good explanation. Well, actually, if we go this way, it'll be better. Hey, if we detour over here, it'll be a shortcut. Hey, this, ooh, shiny object, let's go that direction. So it's either appealing or it actually seems to be better or good in some way. And nowhere in here is the devil still tempting. He's asking questions. Are you sure about that? Actually, that doesn't seem so bad. I don't think that's how this is actually going to work out. He is distracting Eve through the conversation. And oftentimes we do the same thing. We allow ourselves to be distracted, not by terrible things. If it was something terrible and ugly, we wouldn't be distracted by it, right? We're only distracted by the things that are appealing or seem better, or it seems like it's a better way. So far in the story, the serpent actually seems more on Eve's side than God. Don't miss that. That's the distraction. So we say things like, maybe if you work late, and man, I gotta work overtime again and again and again. So you sacrifice and compromise the being home on time with your family and eating a meal together because I have to work late. So we say things like, well, I'm doing it for them. Somebody's gotta put dinner on the table, so if I don't work this overtime, if I don't work this late, if I don't please my boss, well then, and I'm not going to argue whether that's true or untrue, but I'm, I am going to say what's more important. See, distractions pull you away from the most important. Kids, we love our kids, but they can distract us from our most important relationship as a husband and wife. Well, we just really need the extra money right now, and so we get distracted by whatever opportunity comes up, even if it means sacrificing our togetherness. Well, it's just for a season. It's just for right now. It won't last long. We, we can get through. We knew this was coming. The distractions are what pull you apart. The distractions, not terrible, but not best. And that's what the devil begins to use is, well, it's something that might be good, but over time it will slowly but surely pull you apart. Let me put up a picture. This might describe maybe your dinner table. Um, at one point, there's a famous photographer. He became famous by doing this. He took a bunch of photographs of, of individuals, families, couples, in society, in culture, and even in the home, but then removed their phones. And so you can tell how we get so attached. And again, I'm not arguing that social media is something terrible. Some of you might. That's okay. You can have your opinions on it. It's, I'm not saying it's terrible, but I am saying, is it a distraction? Well, we just want to make sure we take a picture and show everybody how great our family really is while I'm doing this. Are we willing to have limits? Are we willing to say, no, this is becoming just a distraction? Because those distractions lead to separation. And he does it here with a conversation beginning with a question. Did God really say that? Which leads us to our third attack the enemy uses in our relationships. Separation. Distraction, the third one is deception. 
Because now it's not just a question and a conversation. Now begins the lies. Notice the devil did not start with the lie. He didn't even follow up with the lie. It took the third attack to be the lie. And it's not even a full on lie. This is like a half truth, which can even be more deceiving and deceptive than a full on blown out lie. He says here, and it begins with the question, did God really say? And then Eve answered him, well, God did say, don't eat from that one tree or else we will die. And here it is. Here's the deception. Verse four, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, which is in direct contrast, is the exact opposite of what God told them. Adam and Eve, everything you have is perfect. Everything you have is yours, but do not eat from that tree. That one tree, don't eat from that or you will die. And that's what Eve knew. And that's what Eve told the serpent back. But he comes right back and says, no, that's actually wrong. And he goes on to explain himself. He doesn't just say that's wrong. He explains himself. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So who's right? There's a lie thrown out to Eve. Who does she believe? Who does she listen to? Which one's right? Which one's wrong? God said, we'll die if we eat it. Now this serpent is telling me we will certainly not die. Now, if they ate from the fruit, would they just drop down dead immediately? Well, no. See, God was talking about a different kind of death. There's the half-truth. There's the deception that the devil was using. He's like, no, 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 you misunderstood God. That's not what he meant. I know what he said, but Eve, you, let me help you understand God, you know, God and all of his wisdom and how big is it. And, and his thoughts are, are not your thoughts. So Eve, we've got to help. Let me help you dumb it down so you understand what he's actually telling you. You will not certainly die. In fact, you'll just be like God. You'll be able to see good and evil right from wrong. You will become like him. Deception. It's where that half-truth, it's where that lie begins to play a part. And notice what happens in verse 6. Here's that change of focus. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband. It took the deception, but the deception had to have a foundation to stand on of distraction and separation to the point where she would follow through with it. Proverbs actually says the same thing in two different places. One in chapter 14 and another in chapter 16. It says there's a way that appears right. There's a way that appears right. It seems like this is the right thing. It feels like this is the right way. Surely this makes the most sense. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. That's the definition of deception. There's a way that appears right, but in the end, leads to death. And it was so important that the writer of Proverbs mentioned it twice, two chapters apart. And this is why we begin to say things to ourselves. We almost talk ourselves into it. We're very good at rationalizing when we're being attacked in the form of deception. We say things like, well, it's not really hurting anybody. I, I know what's right and I know what I'm told is right, but, but it's not really hurting anybody. So surely it's not that bad, right? It's that, well, what she doesn't know won't hurt her. It's just porn. I'm not really cheating on her. I'm just flirting. We're not actually going to do anything. You know, we're just living together because right now it makes a lot more financial sense. Hey, this is 2019. Don't be so old fashioned. Things have changed. It's just the way our world works. It's just the culture we live, live in. That's deception. Understand what Eve did here. Eve knew God's word. Like literally knew the word that he spoke. 
When he asked the question, when the devil asked the question, did God really say this? She responded, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that's in the middle, or here's what's gonna happen. She knew what God said and she knew the consequence. So why did she act differently? Man, that's a big question, don't miss it. She knew what God said, but she acted different. That's how you know deception works. When you know what's right, but we do something different. When you know what God says, but we live a different way. We, we hear what God says and we see what he's telling us to do, yet we choose to go down a different path. Eve knew what God said, but she listened to the whispers of the devil. So here's a good question to ask yourself. I'd write this one down. If you want to know, because it's hard to tell if you're in the middle of being deceived or not. By the very nature of the definition of it, you can't always tell if you're being deceived or not. So here's a question to ask. Who am I listening to? If, if you feel like you, yourself, or your relationship may be in the midst of being attacked by deception, ask that question, who am I listening to? Because Eve knew God, but listened to another voice. And you don't always have to label it, label it the devil. There's a lot of other voices that fill up our mind and our ears. Who are you listening to? If you're listening to God, then keep following through with that. If you know God, but you're listening to someone or something else, that's a good red flag of, hey, let's, let's hit time out for a second. Let's talk this through and go backwards a little bit. Are we being distracted by something? How are we doing in our togetherness? Especially in marriages, but in every relationship, who am I listening to? The who will give you a good answer, at least a good insight into if you're being deceived. All right, here's the last one. The last one we see the devil use is disgrace. Now the gloves come off. He got them right where they wanted them. And now he gives them disgrace. It's that shame. It's that guilt. It's that I'm ruined. We're ruined. We're never going to make it through this. We're never going to be the same. How could we ever move forward with what we have done? Here's what happens next. After, after they both ate of it, verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Here's what I want you to pay attention to. Between this verse here in verse seven and what we started with in verse 24, notice the big difference. Chapter two, verse 24 and five says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now we've gone through a series of attacks and now they realize they were naked and they made coverings for themselves. Now there's the shame. Now there's the guilt. And in our relationships, when things don't go well, which we are not going to live in perfect relationships, marriages or otherwise, it is not going to be perfect. And so we're going to all find ourselves in this place at some point. It's going to happen. Again, we cannot avoid these attacks, but we have to protect and defend ourselves. And if that was the end of the story, that would be a pretty sad end of story. Right? Even when God steps into the picture, if you keep reading through, it says that God kind of showed up on the scene and asked them a question, said, hey, where are you guys? What, what happened? What's going on? And here's what Adam said. He said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Oh, that's one of our responses to disgrace, isn't it? I just want to hide things away. I don't want to be seen. We lose touch with those relationships. We start to move ourselves into isolation. We cut ties with other relationships. Instead of running to people and to God, we feel the need to hide because of the guilt and the shame. We run to isolation. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? 
Dude, I love this. Now, from the very beginning of time, men, this has been just part of our DNA. Look at this, verse 12. The man said, and you could insert any one of our names in this. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. I love it. He blames God and his wife in the same breath. Well, God, it's your fault. You put her here with me. If I didn't have her, it would be fine. If I was in charge, I would be fine. But no, God, you had to give me this, this wife, this helper, this partner. And dude, can you just imagine the look on Eve's face when this was happening? I mean, just like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> the rest of his life was making up for that one sentence. <laughs> Forever. Yes, it's not perfect anymore, is it? We say things we should not say when we live in this place of disgrace. So God doesn't even answer. He's just like, you idiot. You're not going to learn. So he does turn to Eve though. Then God said to the woman, what have you done? And here it is. She's honest. Honest. The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And I ate it. Now if that's the end of the story, it's a sad story. Because it ends with disgrace. If that's where it ends, I mean... They can't go back and change it, right? Adam and man, if we could do it differently, we would. If we could go back, we would change it. Man, we would have done so many things different if we could, but we can't. So where does that leave you? It leaves you stuck in disgrace. And so often relationships get here and stay here because they don't see another way out. Mountain Lake Church, there's a whole nother way out. And it has nothing to do with going back in time and fixing the things you wish you could fix. Taking back the things that you wish you hadn't said. Redoing it. It has to do with who you lean into. Every one of these attacks is, goes back to what we said at the beginning, is separation. It all goes back to separation. Ultimately, separating you from God. Ultimately. Because of this marital problem Adam and Eve faced, it separated them individually from God. That was the goal from the beginning. He used marriage as a tool to get them apart from each other. But ultimately, the common enemy that we have wanted to get them away from God. So what do we do? What do we do when we're stuck in this separated and disgraceful place? Well, God has to step back in. It's exactly what he does. Yes, there's consequences. I'm not going to gloss over the consequences. There's plenty of consequences. Our sin has consequences. Our decisions have consequences. Our excuses and our blames, they have consequences. But at the very end, it doesn't end with consequences. Look at what it ends with. Chapter 3, verse 21, last verse. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Remember what Adam and Eve tried to do? They hid from their shame. They hid from their guilt. In fact, they tried to make coverings of their own and it didn't work. They tried to cover their own sin. They tried to cover their own shame, but that's just putting a bandaid on. That doesn't fix anything. That doesn't really hide them from anything. It's still there. It's God who stepped in and said, no, 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 no. This is not something you can do on your own. This is something that I'm going to do for you. And yes, there's consequences. Yes, your life is going to be different, but I'm not changing my love for you. And he makes clothes for them. He covers their shame. Don't miss that. God steps back into the picture and covers the guilt and covers the shame in a way that only God can. And that's the rest of the story. That's our story. 
That's why God sent his one and only son, Jesus, for us, as scripture says, so that our sins are as far as the east is from the west, to take it away, to completely and forever in this life and the next, to cover our shame, to cover our guilt. We cannot get out of this cycle without God stepping in and us saying, God, I just can't do this without you. How do you move a marriage and a relationship past this? You cannot without him. You cannot without Jesus. Because Jesus steps in and he does something very different. Remember what Jesus said in John 10, 10? The thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. That's how the devil does it. So watch out. Can't avoid him. Watch out for it. But Jesus said, but I've come that I can give life, that I would give you life and life to the full or abundant life. So where the devil tries to give separation, Jesus comes and he provides unity. Where the devil comes and attacks us with distraction, Jesus comes and gives us purpose, focus, Christ-centered life. Focus on me. Seek first the kingdom of God. Where the devil tries to get us deceived and attacks us with deception, Jesus comes and gives us something very, very different. Truth. And when the devil leans into disgrace, how could you? God would never love you. You'll never be who you thought you could be. Jesus comes and gives us the only solution to disgrace. Grace. You want to protect your relationships? You want to guard your marriages? It doesn't happen without allowing Jesus in your relationship. The attacks will be there. Separation, distraction, deception, and disgrace. And you will find yourself in all of those. You cannot avoid them. The goal is not avoiding. The goal is protecting. And we can't do that on our own. It has to be through Jesus, where he gives unity, where he gives the truth and the grace, where he leans in and says, I have a purpose for your life. Stay focused on me and let everything else begin to fade away. Don't worry about the troubles of this life because I'm gonna take care of you. Will you allow Jesus into your relationships? So here's what I want to leave you with. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, now there's no condemnation because of Christ Jesus our Lord. If you find yourself fighting against any of these, be honest enough to say, yeah, we're, we're going to be attacked. If you don't realize it, let me suggest you might be here. <laughs> Ask the question, who am I listening to? But I want to leave you with this. I, I don't want to give you a, a moment to just pray through something. I want to give you a moment to reflect on something. So in just a moment, I'm going to put a few questions up on the screen, and all I want you to do is read through them. And these questions are stated in the plural, so with us and we's. And that's going to be either us as in a marriage, me and my spouse, that's going to be us as my family, that's going to be we as my friends. Most importantly, may it be filtered through your mind and your heart as us as far as me and Jesus. Allow God to work in your life, but it has to have Jesus at the center of it.
what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord.